Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, get it automatically. It'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review on whatever platform you choose. Like the podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. Follow along on Twitter at myfirstsketch. Head to myfirstsketch.com. Trying to keep it updated a little bit more than I used to. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me at josh at myfirstsketch.com and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. We're reaching the end of the year and everybody does top 10 lists. I can't do lists, but I would love to hear your favorite comedy moments from the past year. Live show, a festival, something on TV, the internet, whatever. Shoot me an email at josh at myfirstsketch.com so I can share with, with everyone at myfirstsketch.com and phillysketchfest.com. Let's celebrate some of the cool stuff this year. Today's guest is Max Wolfson, currently a member of the Midnight Gardeners League based out of Washington, D.C. His first sketch is a video from which I'm sharing the audio. Here's the visual information you need to know. There are three guys shot from below and they're drinking from those shot-sized solo cups. The video will also be available on myfirstsketch.com. So let's go to the audio. Stepped on my wife. Hey, Max. Hey, Josh. How's it going? All right. So, tell me about this weird little blockout sketch that is really clever. Like, and I'm surprised I've never seen it before. Oh, well, thanks. It's uh, it's definitely one of the first things that we did um, as a group as the Midnight Gardeners. Um, and I know, I know you talked to some of the other guys, so I don't know <laughs> if we need to give the full backstory, but we were all stand-ups who started working together really to do ideas like this that are just like silly and uh, I would almost say pointless in a good way. <laughs> um, and we really, at, when we all started hanging out, it was just as friends kind of doing stuff together um and so i think that really comes through in this in the as we were talking about before like the audio quality of it and the the fact that it's just 20 seconds um and it was something that we came up with that we had i think probably talked out within the 15 minutes before we recorded it um and we definitely don't just do that anymore but that is a big was a big part of our initial um kind of style is that we would all come together with bits and pieces of ideas and work really collaboratively on them. Um, which I think that is like one of the things that's been the most fun about it. And actually I think is totally reflected in this sketch because it's the sketch just has Pete and Yoki and I in it. And we probably each wrote our own line, if that makes mm. sense. Like Pete, Pete is, it's exactly in Pete's wheelhouse to bring up like cosmic radiation <laughs> and <laughs> the sort of like comic book trope stuff. Um, Yoki plays off that. And then I, I'm pretty sure that this was my idea because of the, that last line. Um, and we have moved away from, I think this kind of stuff, obviously it's like 15 or 20 seconds long, but that's been really, I think an interesting part of uh, evolving as a group because we want to preserve the same kind of like spontaneity 
that was behind stuff like this, but actually put in more like heavy air quotes around this when it's associated with comedy, but like work into the sketches and what we're doing and even kind of holding ourselves to a higher standard of like, you know, we actually did a sketch about robots two months ago. So why don't we do something different or (laughs) whatever? When the premise and the joke is, and this, like, I don't, uh, this word feels weird to me to say, but like when it's so easy, like, that's not a bad thing at all. Like it's, I love a good blackout sketch. I love a good quick one line in and out, you know, uh, and this, you know, you guys recorded this as a video, but doing it on stage, there's no harm in going out there. Lights up, bang, joke, lights down, move on. Like it's, I think it's a lost art at times. Cause I feel like, you know, sketch comedy, we get in the heads of like, you know, having a full story where these little short, blackouts are great they break up the sh- they can break up a show's like monotony almost it's unpredictable at times like yeah i'm all for this kind of thing yeah and we also i think it's good because um, we, we uh all got connected because of Sketchfest. and when we were putting that show together that was something we were thinking about because we were like well we have this block of time and we don't just want we don't want to do everything equal time and nobody wants to see like an 18 minute sketch (laughs) or maybe no, we don't No, No, we do not. (laughs) But so we were thinking about that. So that's why um, we ended up using a one minute video. That's like a fake ad. That's one of the, in my opinion, one of like better ones that we've done um, to kind of set a, a, just enough of a breather for ourselves and some ability to reset, which was that I was going to say that we are all standups and none of Mm. them have taken an improv class but I think that we value like what comes out of improvisation um, because also because we're a group of like five people when we're, or now six, we added a, a, a member, but um, mm. we, when we're kind of collaborative, collaboratively writing these things in real time, we end up doing a sort of like almost like half speed improv of things. You know, yeah. someone will pitch an idea and then somebody else comes in and is like, okay. And then like this character enters and they're like, blah, blah, blah. and then you kind of see how that interplay goes. Um, yeah. And I think that definitely comes from like starting with stuff like this and then moving into the more narrative heavy stuff and still trying to preserve that like back and forth. Right. All right. So let's go to the beginning. What were you into as a kid? What was like your earliest memory of comedy? I was in like honestly we're pretty good hands um in terms of my dad uh is a a an awesome secular jewish dad so what that (laughs) means is that i watched a ton of marx brothers and uh three stooges and looney tunes and animaniacs and uh, it's not a coincidence that we're talking about that (laughs) i think because it gets to what you were saying about kind of like the almost like vaudeville-esque um you know from point yeah. A to point B type humor. Um, so started with that stuff. And then my dad was always a big influence on my comedy. And then probably by the time I was like 10 or 11, I just consumed as much stand up and, you know, Monty Python as, as I could. Um, and the kind of irony to me looking back now is that I didn't actually start doing stand up until I was out of college. Um, and so I always loved it and I, it took a weird amount of time for me to be like, okay, I can do this. Um, I'm trying to think of just other stuff that like really, like, who were the standups that really hooked you that young? 
I loved Lewis Black uh, from like a very young age. <laughs> um, and I kind of remember, I don't remember what album it was, but I remember hearing Maria Bamford for the first time and being like, oh, whoa, this person is weird and <laughs> extremely on purpose. Um, and then I actually just thought of one other sort of like old timey comedy influence. The first iPod that I ever had um my dad helped me load onto it the 2000 year old man um which i don't know if you know yeah mel brooks and carl reiner yeah yeah, carl reiner and and like that was such a huge influence to me uh, that i think still plays out in my comedy of the the coupling of a sort of a ridiculous premise or idea or whatever with the matter of fact execution of like mel brooks just going through and he's like yeah of course i'm 2000 years old this is how it is and i think that is huge for me yeah like i i mean you brought up the marx brothers and they've they've come up a bunch of times when with people i've talked to recently and i have very little frame of reference of the marx brothers growing up like i i forget who it was i was talking to in a previous episode but like i knew groucho because it like my PBS here in Philadelphia mm-hmm. <laughs> aired his old game show. Oh, um, yeah. You can bet you which, or whatever. Yeah. And I only, which is it? Oh gosh. Is it Harpo or Zeppo that does the I love Lucy show? Oh, now see. And now they do that, that famous <laughs> mirror gag. Yeah. That's uh, what Harpo, right? <laughs> like, like, I don't think I've, I, I haven't seen any of their movies completely i'm sure i've seen clips here and there but like the marx brothers are still like one of those like cultural touchstones that i've completely missed that i i have to revisit i suppose i mean i think it's definitely worth doing and i love them but it's kind of in a weird way that's a nice thing you know what i mean because there's such a um a comedy standard that you know sometimes you you need the exposure to different stuff but yeah, I, I remember Duck Soup is the their the movie of theirs that I remember watching, and I think I, I was saying I'm 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 someone who genuine genuinely does like appreciate more old timey things in a way that I hope is genuine and not an affectation. Um, so I may be predisposed to enjoy stuff like the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges and that kind of era. But one thing that I loved about their movies is the um, I guess like the ambition, for lack of a better term. Cause I mm-hmm. think like when you think about old comedy or like old, like stodgy dumb and there's so much going on when they do a movie where, you know, there's the narrative and there's almost like Shakespeare esque kind of like mistaken identity, or you think this, you know, that like those kind of hijinks happening um, and there's music. And so I don't know, I, I'm, I'm definitely not someone who's like, that's when times were better. Cause they weren't. But uh, I think I respected that even when I was seeing it as a kid, um, and it always felt like an outgrowth of like a live action Looney Tunes. Right. I think that sort of quality has definitely stayed the same when it comes to my favorite sort of stuff now. So I'm sure the other guys have mentioned some of these things, but uh, Comedy Bang Bang is like a podcast and a TV show and the Birthday Boys uh, sketch show or like some of the stuff that blew my mind when I saw it because I was like, oh, they're doing live action cartoons in a whole different way. Um, yeah. So I think that's like been a through line for me. And like, I mean, and, and talking about like Marx Brothers and going back to revisit them f- for myself personally, there's a part of me that's worried. Uh, I forget what m- movie it was that I watched recently and I complained that it was so clearly 
so clearly influential of like everything that you know came after it for the next 20 30 years or whatever it was where like going back and seeing that original that original's diminished because every other thing has copied it there has to be a name for that of like revisiting something old that is clearly like a hallmark a benchmark of this of this format but it not being as good as you think it should be because you know airplane that's what it was it was the movie airplane oh interesting and where you know like the that idea of the parody and spoof movie has been so bastardized by you know scary movie seven or whatever it is like right or not not another blank movie whatever right like where if i had seen it back in like 1982 or three like it would have been revolutionary for me but revisiting it now in 2019 at 33 years old and having seen you know like the mel brooks movies after that like the men in tights where it's very much that like gag a minute kind of thing and then Mm -hmm. the scary movies and you know all those things like it's okay like i get it but yeah (laughs) well and that's i think maybe hopefully can be like a good thing for like people in comedy to think about if that makes sense because it's like whatever you're producing will be seen or not be seen by people, you know, however long afterwards. And it's almost not worth worrying about chasing a legacy or something. You know what I mean? Because right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe in 20 years, people will just hate that because it's been done to death or whatever. There's, it could be a million things. Um, and it kind of also relates to the, the conversation about how, how comedy is like changing or not um, in kind of our era which is just a funny thing, I think, when you take a more like macro view, because you're like, yeah, of course, comedy is changing because it's just part of the world <laughs> and it's always changing. Things have always, yeah. I don't know, shifted and artists adapt to them and some do it really well and some do it really poorly. And I don't know, that's like, uh, I think it's more prevalent in the stand up scene, although that's certainly not to like say it doesn't exist other places. But I don't know, this idea that like, things have changed i hate and so in that way i kind of look to all of this stuff regardless of when it is like hopefully for some inspiration or something um but i think to your point about like yeah there must be like a 38 letter german word for yeah that's what i want i want that when i think uh, a buddy of mine when i I think i posted something about that on facebook about uh he pointed me to an article about seinfeld where people are looking back at Seinfeld now and not realizing how much it changed how sitcoms are done right? compared to previously. like Well, and I, I think that might even be, it's a great example of your point because like the format of Seinfeld itself would make it almost like unwatchable today, I think, for most people, you know what I mean, turning into network TV. And I mean, I don't think this has any reflection on him, but like John Mulaney tried to do that like, Mulaney show which was basically that yeah. like, the new Seinfeld with him and I think partially because it was in that style it didn't have the same impact as his other stuff yeah um, and I, that's a good a good context thing because I think that's also like the thing about where people say oh like every episode of Seinfeld could now be solved by the existence of cell phones <laughs> right 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 we're like Kramer at this place but we can't oh wait yeah we'll just text him and he has a map on his phone, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, like whenever it's so weird to me, like looking back at like those '90s 
sitcoms where clearly like the technology that we have now solves every issue. Right. Well, and like 60% of the episodes of everything would be solved today because of iPhone. Yeah. And it's funny because that's, I guess where the, the inherent humor of that, like there's two different ones, right? There's Seinfeld 2000 and another one that are modern day Seinfeld or something. Mm-hmm. And one of them is the original one, and the other one's evil, according to people on the internet. And to be honest, I don't okay. know which. Yeah. But th- their whole premise is like, yeah, George gets, like, George finally gets TikTok, right? When it stops being cool and all the like <laughs> modern variations on that. Um, which I guess that is a testament to like the characters and the, you know what I mean? That, yeah. that it can hold up in that way. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know um, this guy, he's a guy in New York uh, named Jeremy Kaplowitz. He worked Mm-mm. with um, the Hard Times and Hard Drive, which is their like. Uh, uh, sure, yeah. Uh, okay. And he's, I think he's the editor. I think that. Sorry, Jeremy, if I'm getting your title wrong, but uh, he has an amazing bit that we were talking about in the Midnight Gardeners um, that he did live, where he plays like Jerry Seinfeld at 38 when he was dating a 17 year old, and all of his. Uh, okay, yeah, I've, I've seen that clip. Yeah, and. Uh, that to me is kind of the same thing. And it, you know, it has a lot more like <laughs> uh, over or undertones to it, but it's taking the context of a thing that was like, that's when Jerry Seinfeld was 38, he was doing stand up, And now this other comic has found a way to like make that its own thing. Um, and it's funny because right before I saw that I had done a character for a show um, here called comedy potluck. That's like a, it's a weirdo open mic for everything that isn't uh, just stand up or sort of straightforward mm-hmm. improv. Um, and I hosted the Halloween show as Frankensteinfeld, which was <laughs> a monster made of the corpses of like all the comedians who died too soon. Um, and the whole bit was that I had the syntax of like a Frankenstein's monster, but the voice of Jerry Seinfeld. So it would all okay. be like, what deal with fire, fire bad, like dumb. <laughs> Um, and I don't know, that's like, I, I, right after I had done that, I saw that bit that he had done and I was like, Oh wow, you nailed it. Like I was, <laughs> I was happy with what I did, but you fucking destroyed with this concept. Yeah. My idea is good, but yours is a little bit better. Like that little bit of jealousy sometimes of like, ah, Oh yeah. And I'm the worst about Crap. it too. Cause I, to your point about like, um, I don't know the, the way things can overlap if I like see another, another group in DC posts a sketch that's about like a topic I was writing something about, I'm like, Oh, this is, I have to trash it. I have to throw it away. And then sometimes I have to remind myself like, Oh yeah. In a, in a very positive way, like no one is keeping score. There's no like arbiter of you, your pure at comedy or not. Yeah. I had the same idea where uh, I took a, I took a, a reading, a sketch reading to an open mic here in Philly and we we did it and i loved it i was so happy with how it came out uh and then two days later i find an onion article from like three years ago (laughs) three years before i wrote that about basically the same premise i was like oh come on guys like leave me one thing here like (laughs) but it's funny because i think that happens and again it's maybe uh i'm I'm making too much of it but that like that happens with stand-ups and sometimes people are like that person took that joke or whatever and like that's certainly happens but like so much more often it's just way more likely that it's parallel thinking you know what i mean yeah it's like it's so crazy how parallel thinking is just so prevalent and like 
you know, we're all watching the same commercial and right. We're that, that sparks the same idea. Like everybody, everybody has seen somebody on one of those scooters almost like die <laughs> and been like, Oh, I got to write a bit about that. And then like, of course you go and see it. So if anything, it kind of means you're, <laughs> you're getting some things right. Yeah. You're, you're an active participant in the world. That's thinking creatively, <laughs> like it's going to happen. So, okay. So you keep, you mentioned that midnight gardeners is, uh, started basically as a group of standups. Where do you start standup? Um, I started standup in, I guess at this point in 2013. Okay. Maybe, maybe 2012. I could be getting that wrong. Um, it was the sort of the year after I had graduated from college and I had two, two of my best friends, a guy named Warren, a guy named Luke, who um, we were in the same fraternity and I always feel compelled to note that uh, it was a Jewish fraternity, a pi. <laughs> it was like a, a little, um, uh, I don't know, caveat. But uh, th- they were just two of my two of my really good friends, and we were all kind of like the same kind of dickhead, and we would hang <laughs> out and do bits together all the time, and at parties, and during meetings, and we definitely thought we were really entertaining. Um, and somehow we we made it all the way through college without going to an open mic. Um, but then we all started to talk about it. And then I think the irony to me is that I'm, I'm the one who stuck with it out of the three of us. Um, mm. I was the last one of the three to perform. Um, so there's this place, they, they both went to this place called the Soundry, I think, which does not exist anymore. And was like a weird art space in Northern Virginia. Um, and then I went with them to a mic at, um, oh man, I'm forgetting, Hunan number one, I think it's called is in Arlington, Virginia is a, or was it's a bar. Uh, that's a Chinese restaurant. Um, and that was the first place I did stand up. And then I did the thing that I think is not uncommon where I would, I basically performed like once every two or three months after that for about a year. And then I would say after another year, I was doing it what I would consider like seriously or uh, more intentionally at least. Why did you pick that location to start? Oh, uh, my friend knew about it. <laughs> it. It was just, it wasn't like anything special. Like, not imp- oh, I heard this. I heard this is a no pressure kind of place or like, no, no. Like, oh, we're going to this one tonight. I was, to be honest, I comedy wise, I was such a babe in the woods at that point where I, I truly was still like marveling at the fact that people were just going to let me do this. And right. I also think it's very much a part of my personality that I, I think I went to two or three open mics before I signed up at one. Um, cause I, <laughs> I don't know. I just wanted to like assess and see what was going on, uh, and get a feel for, I don't know, not, I don't want to say the competition cause that's not like the right mindset, but just like what the, the context I would be walking into is going to be. Right. I, I kind of did it too. Like, um, Philadelphia for a long time uh, didn't really have a good stand-up scene. When Helium opened, I went to an open mic, and you know there were like five names of like people that were really decent, like just here in Philly locally, and then just garbage for the rest of it. So there was a part of me I was like, I don't want to be like those awful people, like, <laughs> and and me knowing you know being a comedy nerd and knowing like you know the red light behind you, like right, you know it's your time check. Check. There was this one woman who the red light was just blinking like persistently for three minutes because she went over her time. And I was just like, oh, this is awful. Like, so I was totally getting the lay of the land, but I, I still have never done stand up. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I mean, I, I yeah. totally, I mean, I don't know. It's funny because it's because it's the way I started. It's, it just, it's something that I 
focused on, I guess. And it's been nice with the Midnight Gardeners to have the ability to kind of toggle back and forth. Um, so like a few weeks ago, Pete and I were able to drive out to this like brewery in West Virginia and mm. like did stand up sets out there. And it was a super fun time. Everybody out there was so cool. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're now gearing up for our December show, which is in the um, lounge at the DC improv and is going to be a, <laughs> a talk show parody basically um, called thought leaders, T H O T because again, we're mm. done. That's, <laughs> that's the brand. Um, but yeah, I, I guess because it also in comparison, it allows me to sort of like stretch different muscles, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with stand up, it's it's nice when you're in a group to have an outlet where you're like, oh, I'm gonna go do a stand up set and I'm the star, baby. You know what I mean? Just for that five minutes, it's all about me. And I mean, again, at the beginning of this, I was talking about how much I love collaboration, and now I'm talking about how selfish I am. But I do think it's important to balance because you never have to worry about seeding the stage to somebody in, right. in that same way. But you also never get the interplay between people that makes that stuff so funny. So it's not like one's better. It's just nice to have that option absolutely do you remember the first joke that you took to an open mic um not exactly but i remember the first thing i remember the thing that made me decide that i wanted to do stand-up is i realized i already had a bit <laughs> which okay. was, i was i was like i would be at a party or something or hang out with people and it was about stereotypes and then i tried it as a joke probably when for like my first year um and it was like how it's weird that stereotypes are so fixed but they can have like positive implications because, mm. like, and then my example would be i'm jewish and then it's a huge stereotype that black people love fried chicken and the like punchline i came up for it was uh but if somebody walked up to you on the street and handed you 200 dollars and popeyes you wouldn't be like i'm not a black jew get away from me and so like <laughs> that's what i was working with <laughs> Oh, goodness. Yeah. Uh, Well, I like to tell people that I spent the first two years of my time doing stand-up being terrible. Um, I mean, that's true of hopefully everybody for the most part. Yeah, there's also kind of no way. I mean, there's that's there are people who are like, like, I don't know, like (laughs) stratospheric talents. Yeah. Oh, you've always had it figured it out. You've always been doing an amazing comedy set, even when you didn't know it. Um, yeah they're turds like, <laughs> well, it's it's always i feel like when i see somebody like that it's like when you see a a professional athlete <laughs> next to normal people and you're like oh wow your body is really crazy <laughs> as opposed to when you just see like a basketball player with other basketball players and you're like i guess they're kind of tall and then you're like oh no three <laughs> of them <laughs> um, um so tell me about the scene in, in dc um like of of or stand up, I suppose, or you know, like yeah, let's talk about stand up more. Like growing up as a comic in in Washington D.C. area, like how's that go for you? Yeah, I mean, I think people from D.C. love to talk about how great D.C. is, um, but I'm <laughs> I can put myself in that camp because I think it's it was a, a totally accidental, but it really feels like it's a, been a perfect place for me to figure all of this stuff out, if that makes sense. Um, and the scene in DC has kind of matured as I've been doing stand up longer. And I think right now it really may, I mean, I I could be very wrong. I'm no historian, 
um, of like the scene here. But I think it, you really could say that it's maybe never been stronger um, in terms of there's like multiple clubs, but there's also just a ton of shows. And I think if anything, that's not that it's bad, but like there's so many shows now that promotion in DC is really big. So, you know, making the most of the opportunity that you have is really important if you are running a show. Um, but I also think like to take, to, to make it about more than me, uh, very briefly, <laughs> uh, I, I think that like, it's been so cool for me to feel like as I've gotten funnier, hopefully that like, there are so many people doing the same and like, people that I've known since like I started doing comedy and like the guys from the midnight gardeners who we met each other in the scene and came together and people who I just met like three weeks ago who are coming out of nowhere and are so funny. And I, I just love that because I, as far as I'm concerned, I don't know. I, I hate when it's a stand up thing to be like, Oh, this person's going on and they're like, they're so good. They're a killer. I like don't want to go after them because like the crowd will be like tapped out or whatever. Right. I think that's just like the wrong mindset. It's because like, <laughs> yeah, actually, if everybody on the show is really funny, everybody will just have a better time. So for me, I think it's kind of that applies to all situations and being able to just like go to mics where I'm like, oh, I'm not only going to just like get to do the time that I work on jokes here, but like I actually want to watch people and hear what they have to say. Uh, and that's not to say that like people from DC are like <laughs> funnier than people from other places, but I think there's something about the weird nexus of it's a big city, but it's not a huge city. And between Maryland and Northern Virginia, there's so many opportunities spread out. So like if you have a car or if somebody can give you a ride, you can get to some really high quality shows much you know more easily than if you were like trying to get I don't know, an hour and a half into New Jersey from New York. But um, again, this is all just my perspective. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Washington, D.C. shares that kind of uh, a bit of a thing with Philadelphia where, you know, you know, there is a growing scene. There is, you know, quality people out there. And at the same time, you know, we're also two hours from everywhere. Like right. we've got a good radius where you can branch out and keep going like. I mean, you mentioned, you know, New York and New Jersey might be an hour and a half drive, but like, it's not that difficult to, you know, hit, a, you know, the Bolt bus or the Mega bus up to New York City for something or, you know, God forbid driving into New York City because I can't imagine what parking costs <laughs> like. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like, or even for Philadelphia, like coming down to D.C. or Baltimore or, you know, doing other shows like that, like there's a, a decent area to do stuff. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that definitely applies the other way. I mean, we did a midnight gardener show in uh, Philly. I don't know if you talked to the other guys about that. Um, so I don't want to be redundant, but um, it's okay to be re redundant because everyone, you know, it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. When was that? It was good. It was a couple of year and a half ago or something. Um, but we had, we had Greg Gethard on. Um, okay. yeah. Uh, it was yeah. so funny. We actually, I don't know, did Pete tell you about the whole thing? How, the how did I miss that? I feel like I missed this. Like it was, it was a while ago and it was at some, it was a very weird venue that was like a how literally a house venue, but that also wasn't like a, like a punk rock house. It was just an empty row house. Um, oh, weird. 
So it was a very weird um, space, but it was, it was fun. And the ability to just like do that, which I think it gets to the heart of what I really like about the Midnight Gardeners and it's helped um, kind of um, cultivate within myself when I'm thinking about standup is working with somebody like Kevin Titt, who is like, he comes from like the punk rock world and has this just like, let's do it mentality. We're like, when we were mm. talking about putting tour stuff together, the, we just like did it. And it, may, I don't know, it, that is so great to have as an, uh, an influence in your group because I'm, I'm a, a, a as you can probably already tell, like a, a verbose person. And so I'm, I'm all about like shooting the shit all day long about ideas and talking about it. We can do this and we can do this and we can do this. And then I, I will just occasionally get lost in that and having a push to be like, that's awesome. When are we going to do it? Or yeah, let's go do it right now. And that applies to the video stuff that we started doing early on because we would be like, you know, doing bits with each other, like comics do when you hang out. And when we came up with something, especially something that seemed like um, achievable, <laughs> we would, we would just go do it. And that, I don't know, that made it such a, um, I don't know, a more, a more refreshing atmosphere, especially I think a huge part of working in a group that I loved is coming from just doing stand-up where I was, would you occasionally, I think, feel trapped in your own head where you're like, I have an idea and I think it's funny and I just keep telling it to all these people and they don't like it. It's nice to be able to devolve some of that responsibility and throw out an idea and be like, does that make sense? And sometimes people say yes, sometimes people say no, sometimes people say, what if this happened? And I don't know. I, I, I love that process. And now that I think about it, like of the people I know in Philadelphia, Greg Gethert, like absolutely fits what I know of the Midnight Gardener ethos. Like, yeah, whatever, whatever weird character he's going to do that night is going to fit in with whatever you guys are going to do. Well, he he headlined a show for us that we did in D.C. Um, as the financial guru. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> we bought a sword because he needed it. And yeah. it went missing and we were kind of like, oh, man, <laughs> did fucking Greg steal our sword? And then I swear to God, I think this week, <laughs> Kevin was at that same venue for uh, some show and they still have the sword. So I have okay, to retract any Because I, I, know, I know Greg does have a sword with the financial guru. So there was a part of me that was like, oh, Greg, don't do that. Like. <laughs> Well, he, he, I remember that we had to get one cause he, he reached out to us and was like, Hey, so I can't take my sword on Amtrak. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, assu- that's what I assumed it was the, why you guys needed to get him a sword. Yeah. yeah. But also great news for us. Look, everybody look out for some more sword based bits coming. From- <laughs> <laughs> got one. And from what I know of, uh, Midnight Gardeners, your standups that, also do sketch comedy but not totally like like it, you know it, it, you're not a sketch group like i would call you collective i would call you you know it's like it's, I, I don't, i'm not gonna go f- go as far as saying performance art but i know there's a a through line of character work like where i i forget who i was talking to whether it was a it probably was pete where i was talking about like when i saw you guys up in new york city I felt like I was missing something. And then he told me that a lot of the characters in sketches grew out of other sketches. Like uh, your shark tank parody. Mm -hmm. All of those characters came from previous things for the most part. 
Yeah, mine mine was the only one. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, well, that's funny. I mean, that I think is, to be honest, the thing that we just as a group need to work on because we, for our, these shows that we do at the DC Improv, they are always a different concept that we yeah. create, decide to publicize, and then need to have like narratively connect with the audience. Um, and I think that was kind of the challenge of that sketch fest set for us was we had never done something that was um, so unstru- so much time, but so much unstructured time, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, oh, yeah, do your stuff for, you know, I think 25 to 30 minutes. And we were like, oh, okay, well, usually we have like, the theme is blank. And so I think this was our first attempt to be like, how do we cobble our stuff together into something recognizable and coherent, but still like play to the, the strengths that we already have? Um, but I know, I think that's interesting. My, my character in that sketch was totally new. So, which I, I was, I was excited to do because, um, the Politibot 5000 thing, which we did, uh, is an old, not old, but an older character for me and one that I really like, but I was like, okay, I should like try to push myself a little bit more since that's just like, I, I have a little spiel after Pete comes out and then I answer questions. Hmm. Um, so, so what are the differences between the, the sketch comedy scene versus the stand-up scene in DC for you? It's definitely the sketch comedy scene is, um, it's newer to all of us. Um, so I think we have been navigating it more slowly. Um, but I think the, the cool thing is that there is a real interest from other people in what you're doing that mirrors stand up, you know, if, if you do a, a joke or a set somewhere and there's somebody who hasn't seen you, you will, you know, totally start a conversation. Oh, I've never, let's talk about this. And I think that happens with groups. Um, and it also allows you to like kind of expand your horizon of what you can be doing by seeing your peers. Um, so like bad medicine is a, a, a big, um, I, I almost hesitate to call, to call them an influence because it's that's they're, they're they've been doing yeah. so much longer than us, um, but they're, they're like they're they're really great because they have been one of many different like groups to kind of show the way. There's a um, the other guy Pete or Andrew might have talked about um, Church Night, which is a DC show that grew hmm. out of here and has it's like it's coming back in December. Um, the folks who run it have moved to different cities, but they usually do it once or twice a year here and in New York. Um, and oh. the concept is it's, it's a church comedy show. So you walk in and there's, uh, the Reverend, it's, uh, Landon Letzkus and Lindsay Deming. And I'm forgetting Jeremy's last name. Sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like Jeremy Thunder on Facebook though. Uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, but anyway, they, they do the show. And so it was like, one of them was the Reverend. One of them was like the church mom. And one of them is the mute altar boy. Who's the um, receiver of a lot of scorn. And that show is kind of, at least to me. And I think a lot of people of my, my era here, legendary in DC of being mm. like, uh, a really weird, specific show and idea that was pulled off perfectly and that people fucking loved. Like if, if you talk to people who don't watch stand up in DC and have only been to a handful of comedy shows, they might've been to a church night or they might know what it is. Um, okay. And that show I think to us was very emblematic of what we wanted to do. 
Um, but we, <laughs> of course, because we are ambitious losers, decided to introduce the hurdle of we basically do a different concept every show. Um, and that's become a running joke for us as we, whenever we come up with an idea, we have like a saying, which is that's a bit trash it because that's what we do so often is like work really hard for a month or two on a really specific set of ideas. And then we're like, great, we can like pick that up in six months or never again. Um, but that's also why stuff like Sketchfest is great because we have a, we have a way to repurpose it. Yeah. Um, so then like, this concept of, you know, a group of standups getting together to create. All right. Let, I mean, I'm going to ask this because you get, because the other two that I've talked about have also mentioned adding a, a member. What's the process of adding a member now that, you know, Midnight Garners has been going for a while. Like, like how, how did you actively seek out adding somebody? Well, that's, we didn't actively seek it out. Um, and so the person who joined the group is named Joanna Harris and she's super funny. She helps run the comedy potluck show uh, that I mentioned before. Okay. She's somebody that sort of similar to how we all ended up in the group. We like, we have known from doing that show. And I think like for the better part of it, they have potluck monthly unless there's, you know, some reason not to. So I think for the better part of a year, either I did a bit on every show or I did a bit with Andrew on every show, or I did a bit with Pete on every show, or we did a sketch. So there were people that we spent a lot of time with and got to know. Um, and I think it's, to be honest, it's not the reason that we uh, wanted her to join the group. She's just been somebody who's like collaborated with us a lot. And we just saw, as we were talking about things like at the end of this year, we were like, Oh, we could potentially add somebody and there's not really a reason not to, because like turns out being a part of the midnight gardeners league comes with like very few uh, requirements in terms of like, you know, work a certain <laughs> number of hours a week or whatever. Um, but uh, Joanna just fits like what we want to do. And like the, she helped um, host the fine dining show, which we did at the improv, the last show that we did there, um, which was kind of like the, proof of concept for us that she just like fit really seamlessly in what we wanted to do. And it's also, I think not the reason, but it's a recognition of the fact that we're a sketch group or a group or whatever we are that is now, even with adding Joanna is five out of six people are dudes and yeah. four out of those six people are white dudes. And doesn't mean we're evil or you know what I mean? But it, it's yeah. something to consider and keep in mind. Um, and we don't ever, um, put like a hard requirement on this, but we try to have a roughly 50, 50 split for gender for our shows in terms of like when we have guests and other people on. Um, and so I don't know, this was just a way where we were like, well, she's someone who already does a ton of work with us and we know she gets it and does super, super funny stuff. So it was almost a no brainer. And as one of those things where like, by the time we were talking about it in a group with all five of us, we had all, gotten on the same page kind of uh naturally so it didn't feel like a uh i don't know like a weird initiation or anything but i mean you guys are you know a doomsday cult so <laughs> i'm sure there was some kind of weird initiation i'm i'm pretty sure that is after the fact the first thing that i said to joanna when we were talking <laughs> is i know that we're really culty but i promise you won't have to do like a blood ritual or anything <laughs> There's no candles and robes all over the place. No, no, no. Just for the live shows, you know. When it's <laughs> <laughs> um, so then 
and, and you all have been on the road a bit. Like, I mean, you mentioned touring. Uh, you, you mentioned how Kevin's very, you know, tour centric or at least good to get that, you know, together. Um, what have you noticed from different audiences that you've performed in front of? I think the um, <laughs> the number one thing I would say is that I've been like pleasantly surprised by just like any audience's ability to kind of like try to buy into what we're doing, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And to to suspend disbelief <laughs> to the extent that's necessary. Um, but I will say that one thing that we have found is I'm I'm always for sort of touring and taking things out to new places. Um, but working with a really like a dedicated venue like the improv um, is really nice because we have to think about a lot less of the logistics and can just kind of focus on doing the comedy stuff. Um, and I think that is the, the big complication to touring for me is not even necessarily like the audience, but like, okay, what's this venue like and what's their support going to be like? And okay, we have a bar show, so we're going to have to bring the projector and a screen because they probably won't have a screen but then this other place might. And so it's not bad, but that's always uh, fun to deal with. And in terms of audience reaction, I think it's almost, I mean, I, I, it's what I really want us to be doing is going out there and like getting our stuff in front of as many people as possible from as many different places. Um, Cause not that I believe that we're like trapped in like the liberal coastal elitist bubble a hundred percent, but we're, we're doing comedy for dc people in dc you know and yeah you're it, it doesn't mean that like we have to write a whole set to perform for you know ranchers in missoula montana but it does mean that like when we have the opportunity for people to see our stuff i think we should take it and Sketchfest for us was a big step in that direction because we've wanted to get involved in more festivals and even just having the video that we took of that performance to watch and talk about and build on has been huge for us. Um, so I think it's like a literal reflection of the audience because we get to not just have our of the moment interpretation, but just like rewatch it and be like, wow, everybody laughed when you did this thing. So we should definitely do that again. Or, you know, we all loved this joke and it bombed super hard. So next time we think we're hot shit and that like, this is the funniest concept we could rein it in uh, or whatever that might be. Yeah. One of the, one of the things I'm always curious about that I always like talking when I'm talking shop with, with other comedians and stuff is like, is there some premise or some joke that you've done in the past that you, that you do think is awesome just has not worked on stage yet? Oh my God. Like a million things, especially with stand up. <laughs> Cause I'm well, for sure. Stand up. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I had a, a thing that I always thought was hilarious. I don't know if you're a, like a hip hop fan at all. Cause that's why, that's why it doesn't work with all audiences, but okay. the stand up bit was just, here's my impression of Pusha T stepping on a bug. I have no clue. Uh, well, his, his like, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't do anything for me at all. His, his, I, I, I know the name Pusha T. His, I couldn't put it, pick it out of a lineup. I couldn't name a song of his. Like he, yeah. his, his like ad lib that he puts into his raps is yeah, and that's the joke. Okay. Is that it sounds like he's saying <laughs> yuck. So that's something that I thought was so funny, and audiences would just stare at me. But uh, I'm trying to think of like particular bits or premises that have gone that way for us. Um. I think it's, it's been more of a challenge for us to like connect the ideas of a show. Like, I mean, kind of what you were saying about the Sketchfest stuff. Um, 
So like I've often had friends or people at a show come up to me afterwards and they were like, oh, I really liked this thing and this thing. But like, what was this about? Or like, what was going on? (laughs) Um, And I think honestly, in the past like three or four months, we have as a group have gotten more serious about like almost a three act structure for these things where like Mm. it doesn't necessarily need to go anywhere real, but like something happens and then it moves things along. And then there's a culmination because just that simple sort of tent polling helps the audience so much and allows them to kind of just like enjoy the comedy more in my opinion. Um, But one of the things that's come with that is literally like scripting out the, the entire show um, yeah, you know, every moment of what everybody says, but this happens, this person brings this person on, this is what they're going to say, because we are working with, you know, now six people in the group and however many like guests and people we have on. So I think we have like at least six for this next show. So I found that that's a really helpful process. And I've, <laughs> the self-appointed have tried to make myself like the, not that other people aren't doing this, but more of like the writer in the group, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And so that applies to like helping script out the shows and come up with how things are going to flow. And also, you know, when we are all sitting around and we have an idea and we're like, oh yeah, that'd be a funny sketch being the one to like write it up and send it out um, in part to sort of flex, flex that different set of muscles in terms of like, as I was saying, like I'm, I was, I felt like I was late to stand up, So I feel like I'm even later to sketch and writing. Um, and so I'm just really trying to, dive in full force so like i had a really dumb idea for a sketch about king solomon earlier this week and i was like nope just write it this is going to be a weird bible sketch and maybe it will never get made but like you will have written it and you know kind of like the malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours thing will only help to have written another sketch even if it's not the most amazing thing in the world uh as you're as you're going through the ideas and an idea hits your head what is your general um decision-making process when it comes to, is this a a stand-up bit versus something that's more sketchy theatrical? I think one of the big things that I have been trying to do is writing things that I would not be in or like be the star of. So I think that's often where it will start with me. And like, for example, this idea, like I literally was thinking about like the Bible story of King Solomon, who, you know, is like cut the baby in half and as I was thinking about it, I realized that I know, um, I don't remember the full bit, but I know that John Mulaney has a bit about that, like referencing King Solomon in that story. So it, I was immediately like, okay, well, this won't be a stand-up thing because I can immediately associate it with somebody else's stand-up. So like, probably mm. not a good move, but the we'll see if the sketch comes together. The whole point of the sketch is like King Solomon settles the first case by threatening to cut a baby in half. And then every case after that even if it's about like property or taxes or whatever he's like let's cut a baby in half so <laughs> it's it's very simplistic um, he got the taste for blood the first time and it works so well yeah well yeah it's a, the, <laughs> the, the idea i have is that the third guy who comes is he's like hey i've been evading taxes and i just want to pay them and then he's like well i'm gonna cut a baby in half and he's like you do not need to do that i have the money right here <laughs> Um, it's almost like um two different hemispheres of my brain if that makes sense because i have like Mm. i put notes in my phone and i have a specific note for different bits 
but um, it was actually a thing that I started doing. I don't really believe in New Year's resolutions or self-improvement. Well, that's not true. But <laughs> um, I just like, I, I'm not necessarily bound by that. But at the beginning of this year, I was, uh, I just kind of told myself, I was like, I'm going to write five new stand-up bits every month. And that doesn't mean they'll be good. Okay. But like, I'll write them and I'll perform them. And I have, I would say like 85% kept that up. So there's definitely, there have been some months when I've only written three things or whatever, but um, that has been nice because it's made me kind of compartmentalize my writing where I like sit down and I'm like, okay, what's a stand-up idea that lends itself to, to, in my mind, my stand-up is all like verbal, obviously there's movement and whatever, but it's more about just like words, word to word, how things flow. Whereas with a sketch, you can kind of set things up to have more, um, more time to play out and play off of each other. Um, but again, I think that also is just about my style of standup, which is very much like, here's what grinds my gears. Um, but with a little, I, I try to add like a little ironic twist, I guess. Mm. Um, so that like, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the whole, uh, new year's resolution thing and I've been absolutely awful. Like, I could like every failed New Year's resolution this year. Like everything has failed <laughs> for the most part for me. So, like, and they were like simple things like watch more movies, don't watch the same thing over and over again on Netflix while you're sitting there. You're wasting an hour and thirty minutes. Hey, a new movie is an hour and thirty minutes. Watch that instead. Like, uh, write more things. Hey, why haven't you written anything in the last three months? Like, um, but then like it's. You mentioned, you know, having that like your grinds my gears kind of and and you mentioned, you know, Lewis Black being pretty, you know, big memory of your first, you know, stand up fandom. Um are there any other influences that you would point to? Well, I I mentioned John Mulaney and I am such a <laughs> like shitty Xerox of John Mulaney on just like a personal level. Um, <laughs> but I, th- he was like, truly, that was a thing that like, right as I started to do those, um, those open mics with my college buddies and stuff, it, it was right when new in town came out on Netflix. And that was the thing I literally, I think I watched it probably seven or eight times in the first year it was out. And partially that was that I just loved it, but it was, I was also like, Oh, there is, so much to learn here for me specifically, not just like, Oh, every comedian should watch this, but in terms of what I'm trying to channel and who I am. Cause I think that's the thing about standup is it's this weird negotiation between who you actually are and who you are pretending to be. And yeah, it felt like that, that was a big tent pole for me in that way. Um, also a, a, a Mulaney collaborator. Uh, I don't know if you've watched uh Kroll show, like the Nick Comedy Central show, Mm -hmm. that to me was one of the best things I'd ever seen. Like there, there are whole bits that I think about just constantly. Uh, And that was something for me that once I started to open the door for myself to writing sketches, I was able to be like, Oh, Nick Kroll had all these characters and then he created a context for them. Um, And I don't know. So those two were definitely really big for me. And then, I would also say um, you're you're a podcast guy, so you, you do you, you know Super Ego? I, I know who they are. I I haven't really dove in. Those I love those guys in general because they're very much from the same like comedy bang bang UCB kind of world. But the Super right. Ego show 
the thing that I just could not stop. I think I've probably re-listened to some of it this month. And I know that I've listened to not just like every episode, but like everything they've put out. <laughs> and hmm. their whole concept is they have um, like ideas, their audio sketches that are improvised, but then edited. And so like, they'll know what the idea of it is going in, but then they improv it together and then edit it down and add sound effects and stuff. And before I listened to the show, I just never encountered anything like that. And the embrace of the sort of like stupidity that happens when you make a mistake and you say something that you don't mean to say and the balance, the interplay of the different members of the group against each other are both things that I have a thousand percent tried to like <laughs> graft onto the Midnight Gardeners League. <laughs> And you mentioned Mulaney, and you know this is going to be a clumsy segue, but I ask everybody uh, about Saturday Night Live. Like Saturday Night Live is the sketch comedy juggernaut in America. Uh, do you have a favorite SNL cast member? I would love to pull some like super fucking hipster thing out, but <laughs> I'm going to go with the one uh, influence that I haven't talked about. That now that I'm like actually self reflecting is a huge omission. Um, and this has, yeah, I think he was great on SNL, but it has everything to do with the rest of his work, which is Andy Samberg. That's another, another person yeah, okay, like yeah. Mulaney who I was like, oh, wow. I identify with so much of what you're doing. And we, uh, we, as a group, I think everybody from the minute gardeners went, my, my fiance went, um, when the, they were on tour, the lonely Island and like went to the show. And as we were like walking in or while we were there, I was talking to Kevin Titt and was like, wow, I was thinking about it. And I think the Lonely Island might be the most important band in my life. <laughs> <'Cause I'm real laughs> um, but literally like 30 feet from me right now, I have vinyl copies of the Lonely Island's albums. And I think that they hit a, the balance of like self-aware stupidity and awareness and commentary and understanding what is funny about themselves and not being afraid to like embrace it. I, I they just do everything right. And uh, Andrew and I have this uh, a, a bit called offshore futures, which is the world's only billionaire rap duo. And I'm Tyler, the job creator <laughs> and he is Earl sweatshop. Uh, and that bit is not like anything that I ever thought that I would be doing. But as we've been doing it, I've been like, oh, wow, this is maybe the result of an 18 year old listening to a thousand hours of The Lonely Island or something like it just it just it came very naturally out of what we were doing. But it almost feels like an homage in that I'm like, oh, I I clearly see what motivated me to start thinking in this way. Uh, just like there was a, a podcast I was listening to and they were talking about The Lonely Island and they brought up how like uh... – I forget what comic it was, but they talked about how Akiva from Lonely Island just said, just make it for the people that like it. Like make your work for the people who like it. Like I remember that Bash Brothers thing came out. I was like, what is happening here? It's so bizarre. So, so specific, like compared to, but then like all their digital, like not all their digital shorts. Cause some of them completely missed a mark for me, but like, like most of the musical digital shorts that they put out on SNL, are amazing. Like I just thought about just my pants like earlier today. <laughs> yeah. Well, like nowhere. I, yeah. I think, uh, one of the really big ones for me was the, I don't even know if it's, I don't know. I don't think it's ever been like a lonely Island song, but the great day sketch 
which starts with like Andy Samberg singing a song about what a great day it is. And he's clearly like a coked out, like insane person. Yeah. And that to me was the thing where I was like, Oh, you took this and ran with it. And then I argue with Andrew about this constantly. And I want it on the record that he's not only like a fraud and a moron, but an idiot because <laughs> he vastly prefers uh, hot rod to a movie to pop star. And I think that is, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Cause I, I pop star is what I would consider to be like maybe a perfectly constructed movie in terms of pop star. Sh- pop star should have been a bigger uh, movie than it, it was. Absolutely. So many just like little, little things. And it gets back to what I think is really fascinating about the lonely Island of the group, which is like they're it, they, one of the reasons they're so funny is that they are never like, Oh, well the music doesn't have to be good. If anything, they're like, oh, the music has to be good so that people are yeah, tuning absolutely. in for the comedy. And that's a hell of a challenge to set for yourself. And like you were saying about Bash Brothers, like to me, that's the height of like what we would love to do as the Midnight Gardeners, which is like come out with an idea where people are like, wait, what? Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire and it's the 80s, but also they're rapping. And and yet yeah. it all like fits together in a in a coherent way. Uh, since you've been doing comedy for a while, since you started stand up in 2012, 2013-ish, what's something that you've learned from comedy that you'd pass on to someone that's new? The number one thing is to <laughs> never believe yourself when you are fully exuberant or totally depressed, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, there, no, there no. always be time. You, like, everybody, regardless, like, uh, maybe not everybody, many people will have like, you will do a set and you will, you might think like, that wasn't even the best I've ever done. And, but it will feel incredible. And I think you kind of can't trust yourself fully in the moments where you're like, I'm a comedy God. I, I can do it all. <laughs> no one's ever been this funny, but I think you have to, all if, if you embrace that, you also have to embrace not fully wallowing in when you have a set that bombs or a sketch that bombs or whatever being like, Oh, this was, this just proves what a piece of shit I am. Because I remember hearing some, you know, sage comic like Norm MacDonald or somebody say something along the lines of like, the great thing about bombing is you realize nobody's keeping tabs on you. Cause you're like, Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I bombed and I want to do better next time. But it's not like Lauren Michaels is in every, you know, open mic in Philly or DC crossing your name off a list to, make sure you never get an opportunity it's everyone bombs all the time and i think that that's what's beautiful and humbling about comedy is that you can walk in with a set that you know in your brain is perfect and will be delivered perfectly and an audience will be like no you were fucking totally wrong and without getting too into like comedy drama stuff there's like an attitude that i've heard from a couple of dc comics that was literally like sensitive audiences ruined comedy and we're taking it back which to me is like not just a fundamental misreading of like what's happening in comedy now but like what comedy is it is not like a something you enforce on people <laughs> you know what i mean and demand that they enjoy the audience is the reason you're doing right. comedy so if you like aren't thinking about the audience you should ask yourself why doesn't mean you need to be like a panderer and just try to get everybody to like love you uh, I don't know. I think there's so much ego and pride and self-absorption in stand-up that going back to the beginning of this advice, like whatever the way to cut through that for you is, it will be really helpful. And 
if you can stay balanced, that's been the thing for me that's helped me feel like, okay, maybe I didn't have a good set, but it felt like I, I knew what I was doing. I, I did that new joke and I didn't have to like struggle to remember it. Um, and similarly, when I have like a really amazing set, it's like, oh, that set was amazing. But like, oh, did I kind of flub the the outro because I thought I had a good set, so I didn't need to do a joke or whatever. Like you can self-analyze yourself into the grave, but if if you're not um, enjoying performing, it won't. I was just going to say something so stupid, which is if you're not enjoying performing, it won't be fun. But that actually I think is true. Like the times that I am connecting with an audience, the best I'm having fun. And the more barriers you put in front of that, the harder you're going to make it for yourself. Yeah. I, I did a show with a couple of people that, that, you know, I had met in a sketch comedy class and I said, like, they were all nervous. I was like, don't worry. Lauren Michaels (laughs) isn't here. Like you're not going to get hired from this show. Like, and I think, uh, I, like I had that, I do have that thought, you know, of Lauren Michaels isn't here. It's not a, it's not a big deal. It's not going to crush your spirit. And I, and I worry that sometimes I take that too far of like, Oh, this doesn't mm. matter. <laughs> like just, you know, just go out there and do it, whatever. But like, you know, so I'm trying to keep that balance of like caring, but not worrying about caring yeah, too much. There's the, I don't know if you saw like a while ago, there was like that interview with Conan in the New York times. Um, and he's another person who I would put on that influence list of just like somebody that I was like, Oh, you can do this weird stuff. Um, but he has a quote towards the end of this like interview about how they like rebooted his show where he says something along those lines or he's like, yeah, I realized that everything didn't matter, but that it didn't have to be a bad thing that that's actually very freeing. Yeah. Um, and I realize now I should have just summed up my advice in such a Philly way, which is like, trust the process. Cause you gotta like, <laughs> you really do have to commit to, uh, that's the thing for me that like truly the first time I did stand up, it felt like I had touched an electric wire connected to the pleasure center of my brain. And I was not very yeah. funny or very good. And so at that point I was just like, Oh, I want to keep doing this. And so of course you want you know success or validation or an opportunity or whatever it might be but if if you are doing i I think if you're doing comedy because you like to do comedy you should trust that impulse and you just basically answered my last question why comedy it's funny now because i feel it in a weird way looking backwards i'm you said you're 33 i I turned 30 this year so you know i'm an an ancient an ancient Mm. old man now (laughs) but uh i it's weird looking back because it feels kind of inevitable like, I'm like, oh, yeah, why wouldn't I be doing comedy? This all adds up. But in a weird way, it was such a long journey. And I think before I knew that I wanted to do comedy, I had kind of talked myself into different options for what my life would be like. And I think any of them would be completely miserable um, now, which maybe that's just my my current perspective. But to me, I've always i've i've been really um reticent to embrace the fact that i'm a creative person i think because i've always enjoyed being creative but i've never personally like identified that way um you know when i was like a teenager in my early 20s and so one of the things that i've just tried to do is be like well i like doing comedy so i'm going to like work at it and still have that be fun so at this point it's the mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's like i fully am so prepared for a version of my life where the highlight of my comedy career is being on the wildly popular my first sketch podcast that soon will skyrocket to tens of millions of <laughs> listeners but like 
it, if that was it, then, and you know, you'd hold me tomorrow, you're never going to get these, the things that you want out of it. I'd be like, okay, well, I'm still going to go do shows because I like to tell jokes. Um, and I think that yeah. was the thing that I, I realized um, sort of later in my life than I even thought I would, which is, I love, I love that. That's kind of who I am. I love to do jokes and bits and I can't always be serious. You know what I mean? Like it just is part of who I am at this point. And I guess I just feel very lucky that I found a way that like I can express that pretty consistently in my life with a group of people who are on the same page. All right. Very cool. Thanks, Max. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Max and the rest of the Midnight Gunners League will be performing Thought Leaders at the DC Improv on Sunday, December 8th at 7pm. Find more information at MidnightGardenersLeague.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at MidnightGardeners, on Twitter at 12AMGardeners, and on Facebook at MidnightGardenersLeague. My first sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at PhillySketchFest.com, follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at PhillySketchFest, the music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go see some comedy.